0: Well, as we look at God's Word this morning, uh, we're thinking about uh, the gift that God gave to us, of course, in the Savior, and uh, we think about how can we gift back to God, and uh, we've talked the past couple of weeks about our responsibility to take the abilities, the gifts that we have, and to to use them for the glory of God. God's invested so much in us, and I think about, uh, you know, I guess... uh, we really can't comprehend it, I guess, at the moment. But one day, uh, in eternity, we'll certainly marvel at what God did for us and how He did that. And uh, and man, what an exciting time that's going to be! I think sometimes in life we're kind of like uh, we we kind of we wonder what can I get out of it. It, it seems like we focus on. Uh, on, on uh, you know, the, the, the getting rather than the giving. And God designed us to realize the truth that it's more blessed to give than to receive. There's something about human psyche that when we're able to contribute and be a part of something larger than ourselves, we find satisfaction in that. Now, don't get me wrong. I know that we find satisfaction in receiving uh, when I receive chocolate fudge that my wife makes, I love that. Matter of fact, she could make that every day, and that would be just fine with me. And she could make all the meals and clean up, do all the cleanup and all of that, you know, and that'd be fine too. But she would appreciate it if I would do some of those things for her. Don't say amen, honey, okay? <laughs> I know you're shouting it inside. But, you know, it reminds me of a, a guy that went to court and he was being charged with vagrancy. And uh, the, the judge looked at him, and this is back in, uh, this is many years ago. The judge looked at him and said, uh, what is your name, sir? And the fellow said, "Lock Smith. And then after he gave the judge his name, he ran for the door. He was caught by one of the officers of the court, and they brought him back before the judge. And the judge uh, said, that will be $10 or 10 days. And Mr. Smith looked at the judge and said, Judge, if it's okay with you, I'll just take $10. (laughs) He got it wrong, didn't he? He thought it was about receiving something, but uh, apparently it was not the reception that the judge had intended for him. You know, church is like that sometimes. We think being part of a body of believers, being part of a a local church, is really about me checking off the boxes about whether or not, you know, this was good or that was good. And if I can check all the boxes off and this, that, or the other, I feel like I've had a good experience. But, you know, church is so much more than that because. The Bible tells us that when you got saved, God made you a member of the body of Christ. The universal church body of believers. And when you got saved, the Bible says that God poured his Holy Spirit into your life. And the same Holy Spirit who inhabits you also inhabits other believers. And this is why we kind of have a connection with each other, oftentimes that we don't sense uh, in the in the world with 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 a lot of other folks. But as we look at the scripture this morning, I I, I want to just kind of draw your attention to some people that are overlooked a lot of times in the Bible. There are people that uh, that we see here that we do not know their names. We don't know exactly how many of them there were. We don't know if they were men or women or a combination of both. We don't know if they had uh, you know, had their own businesses or whether they worked for someone else. We don't know where they were on the socioeconomic platform, so to speak. We don't know how educated they were. But we do know some things about them. And one of the things that we know about these people in the city of Damascus is that they were sold out fervent believers in Jesus Christ. Their lives had been transformed and changed. They had accepted Jesus as the Messiah. And because of that, they were willing to do their part to make sure that the gospel message would ring out in the first century. And so this morning, I want to invite you to take your Bible and go to Acts chapter 9. Acts chapter 9. And I'm going to ask you, if you would, to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And I want you to be thinking about this group of people who, we're going to call them rope holders this morning. They weren't great preachers. They weren't evangelists or prophets. They weren't People that had high positions in the government, we suppose, but one thing we do know is that they were able to hold the rope when it counted. I want you to think about your life for just a moment. Can it be said of you that you're able to hold the rope on the day of opportunity, the day of accountability? Are you one that is able to stand in the gap because of your faithfulness and your fidelity to the Lord? Let's read this passage together. Acts chapter 9. And I want to begin reading in verse number 19, the latter part of verse 19. The Bible says that for some days he, and this is Saul who we know is the Apostle Paul. he says, for some days... He was with the disciples at Damascus. And immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose to bring them bound before the chief priests. Now, now pause there and look up here for just a moment. Saul, who was a Pharisee, was a man hunter. He was imprisoning people and putting to death people who were following Jesus because Jesus was the Messiah, but the Jewish uh, authorities did not believe that. They believed that Jesus was a false Messiah, but the Apostle Paul was, as a Pharisee, he was hunting these people down and putting them in prison, uh, killing them. matter of fact, he was there when they stoned Stephen. So he was a manhunter. He was someone who was, uh, who was adamantly opposed to Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Messiah. And the story is that one day he had a conversion experience when he he had a revelation of Jesus and his life changed and he accepted the Lord. And he went to the city of Damascus. And some believers in Damascus helped him. And the Bible tells us that in Damascus, in verse number 22, it says that Saul increased all the more in strength. And confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And when many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night And let him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. Now, fast forward to the city of Corinth. The Apostle Paul has planted a church there now, many days after this has occurred, many weeks, months, on one of his missionary journeys. And he's writing to a church in Corinth at this point that has questioned his authority as an apostle. They've challenged Paul. They said, Paul, you don't speak with authority. Paul, you're not like the other super apostles that we've had come in here. You're you're just not, you're not of their caliber. And so the apostle Paul begins to share some of his story. If you'll take your Bible and go to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11, that's going to be to the right of Acts. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, the Apostle Paul now has had some incredibly uh, fruitful ministry. He's seen some incredible things that the Lord has done. He's, he's even experienced a calling up to the third heaven but the Apostle Paul is determined not to be prideful. And so, in verse number 30, he says this because of the way the Corinthian church was treating him. He says, If I must boast, I will boast of the things that show my weakness. The God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, he who is blessed forever, knows that I am not lying. At Damascus, the governor, under King Artus, was guarding the city of Damascus in order to seize me, but I was let down in a basket through a window in the wall, and escaped his hands. Would you pray with me, Heavenly Father? I want to thank you for the testimony of your word that inspires us and moves us and informs our hearts, Lord God, and challenges us to know you and to serve you and to take heart in the days that we live in. And Father, I pray right now that you would speak to us about being the kind of people, the kind of people who are willing to stand in the gap, to hold the rope, to be there for your glory and for the good of our society and for the good of individuals. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. This morning as you, as you look at this passage of Scripture, I have to tell you I'm preaching to the church this morning. I'm preaching to those of you who have accepted Christ as your Messiah. You've accepted Him as the one who, who made provision for you on Calvary's cross, who died for you and who rose again. And it's because of that relationship with Christ that it changes everything in our lives. In the city of Damascus, there was a partnership of the political leadership and the religious aristocracy of that day and the Jewish church. And their commitment was to stamp out anyone who was disturbing the peace. And most notably, to get rid of of those who were sharing a gospel that was different than the law of Moses. They had not accepted Christ and because of that, they were opposed to the work of Christ. And in this passage of scripture, the apostle Paul has found out now that he has a uh, that there's a contract on his life. It's it's an attack by those in leadership to put him out because he is he is causing problems for them. The reality is that the contract on his life was not just about the political and the religious leadership. It was also about spiritual forces of wickedness who were seeking to stop the gospel of Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul makes that very plain in Ephesians chapter 6 when he says that our our struggle is not with flesh and blood, but it is against wicked, powerful entities in the spirit realm who are working against the will of God the Father. And so as we think about that, I want you to think about the spiritual warfare that's going on here. And in the midst of this, as his life is in jeopardy, there's this group of believers there in Damascus who have accepted Jesus Christ, and first of all, a number of those believers were afraid that Paul was just, you know, he was just a guy that was out to get them as well. But they they listened to him all these 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 uh, these days in in Damascus, and they were amazed at how God was using him. and And you know what happens when you have a good a, a good sound argument, and I don't mean being ugly, but I mean when you have a persuasive uh, a position on a on, on some issue or something like that, and you're able to articulate that in a persuasive way. When somebody can't beat your argument, they have a tendency to kind of go after you personally. It's called an ad hominem attack. That's what people do. And, and that's, these people right now were very upset with Paul because they could not refute him because he was proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the promised Messiah. And so their response was to seek to destroy him. Here's a guy who has an incredible calling on his life. He's so far ahead of us mere mortals, so to speak. But what is noteworthy in this passage is that it's those mere mortals, the simple men and women, the disciples of Jesus Christ in Damascus, that did something very simple, but it had an extraordinarily positive impact on the world. And what did they do? Well, they got a rope and they got a basket and they took Paul to a window. They put him in the basket and then they lowered him outside the city walls listen to me sometimes God will not part the Red Sea for you because he knows there's a rowboat coming your way God does not have to send a chariot of fire when a rope and a basket will do it didn't have to be a miracle that transported him out of Damascus it was the simple available commitment And contribution of God's people that made a difference for the entire Christian world then and now. I want you to think about this for just a moment. These people, these rope holders, we're going to call them rope holders this morning. These rope holders, they illustrate for us the power and the necessity of a coordinated participation of teamwork in the church. It's important for us as believers to marshal our efforts together as believers in a coordinated fashion. And God doesn't have to use a genius in order to get his work done. Now, no doubt it might help in some ways, or it could possibly hinder, I don't know. But I do remember this story about a, 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 uh, an old country boy who went off to, to the university to get educated. And uh, he'd come home for the summer vacation, and he wanted to impress his father with his his new language skills and and all this sort of thing. And and so he he said to his his dad, he said uh, he said, well, yesterday my friends and I autoed to the drive-in, we golfed until dark, and then we bridged for a few hours, and then we autoed home. Well, is his farmer daddy looked at him and said, That's wonderful, son. I muled to the cornfield and geehawked till sundown. And then I suppered till dark. I piped till nine and I bedsteaded till five. Breakfasted and went muling again. Listen to me. God's got all kinds of people out there at all different levels. And what's important is that we do what we can. And we may not have understood all of that language there, but we do it in a coordinated fashion. You don't have to be a genius. You don't have to be super, super skilled. You have to be available and willing. And these rope holders, they teach us the incredible necessity of just doing your part. Plugging in somewhere in the the time and the moment of need. Take your Bible, if you will, and go to Ephesians chapter 4. I want you to see this this morning. And again, I I know uh, uh, many of us, you know, we we wonder how in the world can we get plugged in and what can we do? Well, let me just share with you in just a few moments as we go over here and have a a meal together, there's going to be a whole bunch of tables over there with different ministries that this church has going on and you're invited to participate and you might even want to sign up and and become part of one of those ministries. But we just put it out there for you to know about. But in Ephesians chapter 4... I want you to look at what it says. We're begin reading in verse number 15, okay? Now, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's writing to the church at Ephesus in this case, and uh, he's talking about church life here and unity in the body of Christ, getting along and working together. And so in verse 15, he says this: He says, Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. He's talking about growing up in Christ, maturing in Christ. And then verse 16, notice what he says. From whom, from Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in Love. What's important there to understand is that when the church is full of believers who do their part, they help build up the church in love. Not everybody can be on this platform and sing like Liz and Dave and, you know, know, all the others that are there. This morning we had a, a member of our church do sign language, and she did sign for some folks that were deaf. And we don't—not everybody can do sign language. Not everybody is comfortable getting up and and preaching in a pulpit. Some of you preach at home, and I understand that. <laughs> not everybody is called to be a, a teacher, and not everybody is called to be uh, an administrator. But we all have a part to play, and and I, I share this with you because, you know, I believe. God's people, the church, just needs people to rope hold, to hold the rope, to stand in the gap when it's necessary, when it's needful. A church, a great church, is a church where people get involved and serve. And they're willing to serve and in ways that, you know, like I said, we don't know who these people were. We just know that they understood that a man's life was on the line, and they also understood that the gospel presentation would be severely limited and hurt if this man was put to death. And so they said, hey, let's get a rope, let's get a basket, let's let him down. And you know what? The church in Damascus began to thrive. And the Bible tells us that the church in Corinth thrived. And Ephesus and all of these other places because these rope holders decided to hold the rope. You know, we think sometimes that our abilities and our gifts are just, uh, they're not worthy of consideration. I want you to think a little bit about what God did in the Bible. On one occasion, the great army of Israel was quaking in its boots because the Philistine army was there and their champion, Goliath, who stood nine feet tall, he was threatening them. And they were afraid. And then there was this little fellow by the name of David who showed up with a slingshot. <laughs> And it made a difference. It made a difference. See, it's not the slingshot that makes the difference. It's God who is in you, who is with you. And David said, you come at me with the spirit and a sword, but I come at you in the name of the Lord, my God. He made a difference. I'm thinking just a moment about a, 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 a guy by the name of Shamgar, the Old Testament. He's an Old Testament prophet. He's, he's, a, he's a prophet of God, but he's an ox herder. He's got a, an ox goad, which is a stick that he used to prod oxen. And, and this is all he's got, but he became a mighty deliverer because he had the ox goad and God allowed him to use the ox goad to deliver the people of God. I'm thinking for a moment about a a, a dear old widow lady with a son in the days of Elijah. She's got a little bit of flour, and she's got a jar that has a little bit of oil in it. And one day Elijah came to her home, and he wanted something to eat. And she said, well, she said... uh, you're welcome to come in here and and, and I'll fix you something to eat. And he said, well, what do you got? And she said, well, I got a little bit of flour and I got a little bit of oil and I'm going to mix it up and I'm going to make some bread and and, and we're going to eat the bread and then my son and I are going to die. Elijah said, nope, you're not. Because God told me, You give me that oil and that flour, and we will make sure that you have food to eat until it rains and the harvest is in. And the Bible tells us that she took that little bit of oil and that flour, and God used it to effect great change for the people of Israel. I gotta tell you something. You may think to yourself, there's not a whole lot I can do, but there's a lot you can do by just putting your hand to the plow in the time of need. There was a little boy in the New Testament who brought a lunch one day to the hillside and there were at least 5,000 men on this hillside and plus women and children and Jesus had been teaching all day and this little boy had a meager lunch that he brought and this is all he had he had some loaves and he had some fish and the people were hungry but he offered the loaves and the fish to Jesus and the Bible says 5,000 men plus women and children Were fed because the Lord multiplied that meal. Rope holders, people who stood in the gap in the time of need, just doing their part, and it changes the course of history. I gotta tell you something, I'm impressed with these people in this. Passage in Acts that just decided to take it upon themselves to do something that would bring uh, bring good to the people of god, and, and I think that they 're good examples for us they 're examples of people who are willing and understand the necessity. Of doing their part, of holding that rope, of standing when it matters. You know what? This church, like every church that that is that is a church that worships the Lord Jesus Christ, there are two things we need. Number one, we need the Lord. We need His presence in our lives to transform us, to change us, to animate us, to to give us wisdom. To you know, like I said before, God doesn't have to send a chariot of fire. All He needs is a rope and some and a basket and some willing hearts, and and God will do that with the wonderful people that's there. Because because you, you're you, you've been blessed even though you may not realize that God's gifted you so that you might use it for his glory and good. But there's something else to me that stands out about these rope holders. And that is that these men and presumably maybe some women, I'm not sure, we don't know. Maybe it was all women, who knows? You know, maybe, uh, maybe they were just all tough ladies, I don't know. They were disciples in Damascus, I know that but there's something else about them that stood out to me and that is that they stood in opposition to the political leadership in Damascus they stood in opposition to the religious aristocracy in Damascus they stood against what they knew to be evil an evil attempt. And they put their lives on the line. So that the gospel of Jesus Christ. The message of Christ. And the messengers of Christ. Could go on. And communicate the gospel. And complete the work God had called the church to. Now you think about that for just a moment. I get a little bit Uh, you know, uh, antsy when the the temperature gets a little bit too high or a little bit too low and it gets a little uncomfortable. I I get a little bit disturbed when the noise level gets a little bit beyond that, you know, that range where I want to, you know, feel a little peace and quiet. You know what I know about these people? These people, for them, their faithfulness to the Lord and their fidelity meant more to them than their level of comfort. I mean, they had to get up in the night, right? <laughs> Not only that, but they took a real chance here. They, 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 they loved God and loved the, the, the calling of God on their lives so much, they were willing to forego comfort. They were also, it's interesting too, because they, they, did, they were people who, who cared more about being faithful to the Lord than it was about being recognized personally. In other words, their notoriety took a back seat to their fidelity to the Lord. I like that. What that tells me is that these people were not glory hounds. They were people who just wanted to be faithful at the right time, in the right place to advance the kingdom of God, and they were willing to put their comfort aside, to put notoriety aside, and yes, even to possibly put their physical safety aside in the back seat in order to serve the lord loved ones i want to tell you something the bible clearly teaches us that one day you and i will have an opportunity to stand up and oppose the evil in our world and it may be every day i don't know and i don't know what what how you know i don't know exactly what your position of influence is in the world today but the one thing i do know is that the godly in christ jesus will suffer and we will be challenged To either go along, to get along with an unsaved, corrupted world. Or we will stand for what is right and what is true. And we will be supportive of what God is doing in this world. I I, I just have to ask, where are you today? What is your belief about the value of the body of Christ? Take your Bible just a moment and go, go with me to Matthew chapter 16 just a moment. I want, to, I want to share with you what Jesus had to say about the church and about what the church is going to do. Matthew chapter 16, this is part of Jesus's, um, where Peter declares that Jesus is, is the Messiah, the Lord. And Peter makes that bold confession. And in Matthew chapter 16, in verse number 18, I want you to hear what what Jesus said. In verse 18 of Matthew 16, Jesus says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And, And this next phrase is so important because it says, And the gates of hell... Shall not prevail against it. Now, gates were a defensive weapon in those days, and Damascus was a city that had gates all around it. It had walls and gates, and nobody could go in or come or, or, or go in or go out without going through a gate. But but what Matthew sixteen eighteen teaches us is that the church, the people of God. If we are faithful to the calling of God, we're going to be bumping up against the very gates of hell. I don't know how many of you have a pet in the house or outside, but you know one thing that's interesting, and maybe some of you guys that have raised cows, you know what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes if you're trying to herd a cow and the cow didn't want to go where it wants to go, it it, it just kind of bumps bumps into you and kind of pushes you out of the way, right? And, and maybe some of you got some dogs that do that, you know, they just, when they want something to kind of bump into you and they push you around, and, you know, what do you want, you know, and uh, the, the bottom line is the church is not meant to, the, the people have got, we're not meant just to say, okay, whatever you guys want, <laughs> whatever you want related to, you know, gender, whatever you want, okay, if you want to dress up like a tadpole today, whatever, you know. If you feel like you're a robot today, I'm a robot, I'm not a human being, you know. I mean, you know whatever you no. We are to stand for the truth of God. We're to walk in the wisdom that is from above. We're to be a people who are able to confront the very gates of hell. Because the promise is that the gates of hell cannot stand against the truth of the gospel. And every day and every opportunity as we have an opportunity to share about Jesus Christ and to to help others walk in a way that's pleasing to him, we should do that. Not to be ugly and bombastic and rude and, you know, and, and, and to try to scare everybody. That's not who we are. But we are to understand that the nature of our walk in the Lord in this world will require us to bump up against evil. These rope holders, man, you know, we don't know hardly anything about them. But one thing we do know is that they were willing to do what was right in the time and the moment when it came upon them. And that kind of leads me to the third thing I want you to see this morning about these rope holders. I want you to see that when they, uh, when 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 they decided to help the Apostle Paul, and and, it, and I get the impression that Paul was afraid at this point that he was a scared, of, he was scared that he was going to lose his life. You know, he was scared, as they say back in the hills. He he was cowardice. I mean, and and this is why he brings it up in Second Corinthians just so they'll know that. Listen. I had to get in a basket and, and, I, and I, I, didn't, I didn't just bust through the doors there, buddy. I had to be let out. I think that the reason that these people did what they did and they used the means at their disposal to do it and they were willing to stand against those who may threaten their lives, I think the reason they did it is because they had a big picture view of what was going on in the world. And for us as believers, as Christians, we should never lose sight of the fact that God is reconciling the people of the world to Himself in Jesus Christ. And we are to make disciples of all peoples, of all nations. We are to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we are to teach them to observe everything that He commanded us. That's what we do as a church. That's what our calling is. That's what your calling is. But unless we have some folks that are willing to hold the rope, we cannot complete the work that God has called us to. I want to challenge you this morning to know that the greatest enterprise you will ever be involved in in the world is the enterprise of the gospel, what God is doing. And right now we may not recognize its value like, I know for sure we don't recognize the value today like we will in eternity, but the promise is that the Lord is returning one day and that he is bringing his reward with him. And the good news is that if you're in Jesus Christ, if you accepted Him as your Messiah, then He's promised you pardon and forgiveness of your sins, which is great. But He's also empowered you to take the little bit that you have now. The little bit of time, the little bit of treasure, the little bit of talent and ability, and to use that for His glory. To put your comfort aside. To say, you know what, I don't have to be recognized in order To serve him and to understand that at some point in your life you will have a chance to say no thus saith the Lord and you'll have a chance to oppose what is displeasing to the Lord so we're going to have our our closing prayer now and I want to just we're going to have a meal here in just a minute we're going to go over and have a great fellowship meal and there's going to be all kinds of Opportunities for you to serve the Lord. By the way, today is Sanctity of Life Sunday. On a national level, we recognize the value of life. And we have a ministry called Choices, which is dedicated to uh, helping people understand about how they can be a part of that fight. Uh, We have a ministry called Caring Hands, which it feeds and clothes people, uh, provides all sorts of things. There are a whole bunch of ministry options in this church, but none of those ministries will happen unless we have rope holders people that say i want to be there and do what is necessary so i want to encourage you to think about that our team's going to come out and lead us in a time of worship and and uh, you know our gift to god i think should be a gift where it says lord i'm willing to serve you wherever you need me and whatever you've called me to do let's pray together Father, thank you for this day, and Lord God, thank you for the those that uh, that serve you so faithfully, and Lord God, thank you for those of us who you are calling right now to, to put our hand to the plow. Father, show us what we can do, and Lord, help us to find that purpose and meaning and joy in surrender and in service. Now, Lord, bless this time. Help us to understand how we might be contributors and not just takers. In this world. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more information about First Baptist Church of Wildwood. And our ministries. You can go to our website. FBCWildwood.org Our Facebook page. First Baptist Church of Wildwood. Or our Instagram page. FBWildwood Have a great Jesus filled day.